Jesus is ready. He's been baptised in the Jordan. He's been tempted in the wilderness but was victorious. And now, today, he begins to do what God sent him to do. Jesus starts strong, he starts well, and he starts as he means to go on. The great rescue mission is here. The adventure begins. Mark 1, 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now there's a few things to note here at the beginning of this rescue mission. Uh, John is now in prison. His popular ministry in the wilderness is over. The people who flocked from the towns and the regions, even Jerusalem, to hear him have gone home. And so has Jesus. But for Jesus, back home not only means returning to Galilee, but to start his mission, God's mission, a mission to proclaim the good news. And it's this good news, the message of Jesus, that we'll be focusing on this morning. And we'll focus on two things, delivery, how Jesus shared the good news, how he proclaimed it, and its content, what actually the good news was. So, the delivery of the message of Jesus. Mark 1.14 says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The message of Jesus is delivered by preaching. Isn't it interesting that God chooses this as the primary means of bringing salvation to his people? I mean, God could have chosen miracles, dramatic healings, and exercising demons as Christ's primary focus. God could have chosen acts of compassion, feeding the hungry and comforting the grieving as the number one activity for Christ. But no, these are important but secondary. Mark tells us time and time again, he shows Jesus putting preaching first. Now this preaching isn't the same as what passes for preaching in many churches today. People will often tell us that sermons are boring or irrelevant or tedious. I feel like I'm standing on dodgy ground here. But you're very gracious. Bad preaching can be summed up by this quote from Shakespeare describing a character. Listen to this. Preaching. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? I quite like the quote, though. I'll say it again. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Goodness me, bad preaching has a lot to answer for. Robert Louis Stevenson once wrote in his diary as if recording something extraordinary. I've been to church today and I am not depressed. (laughs) But the preaching of Jesus was never like this. The word used in verse 14 is proclaiming. It carries with it the idea of heralding, of speaking on behalf of a king. And so we can imagine a town crier in a medieval town gathering the townsfolk together and saying something like this, Hear ye, hear ye, be it known to you today that by royal order of his highness the king, there will be granted to this town an imperial watch of 100 soldiers to protect you from the rebel bands who plunder the king's subjects. You can imagine a cheer going up amongst the crowd. This is good news. And the herald continues, Furthermore, be it known to you that the cost of this protection will not be by extra taxes, 
but by the generosity of the king from his royal treasury. Wow, more cheers, especially from the accountants in the crowd. And then he goes on, Moreover, the king would have you know that he loves you, his loyal subjects, and will use all his royal counsel and power to defend you and supply all your wants. And the crowd's getting really excited. This is good news, and they're cheering. And lastly, he sends through me this royal blessing. Blessed are the people whose trust is in the king. And the crowd cheers its final cheer. And this captures something of the heart of what Jesus was doing when he preached. He proclaimed, he declared, he heralded the good news. The good news that the king is coming. And this brings us to the content. What was the good news that Jesus preached? Verse 15 of Mark chapter 1. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And here we have a four-point summary of what Jesus preached. Four points. And did you see these in the message here? The four points are, the time has come, the kingdom is near, repent and believe. And we have summarised here the whole gospel that Jesus preached. So we'll go through each one of these. We'll start with, the time has come. Now this is a reminder that the arrival of Jesus in the first century Palestine wasn't out of the blue. It didn't signal a major change with how God is dealing with humanity. Yes, it was new and exciting and surprising, but it wasn't a complete change of how God was dealing with his people. See, salvation history is a trajectory, and it starts down at the bottom with the fall, and then it arcs right up until the end of days. And what happens is during this trajectory, Jesus came. Very important. And then that's what it means by the time has come. The time that we've been waiting for since the fall and the time that we'll be looking forward to when all things come together. And we see this most clearly when it comes to prophecy, fulfilled prophecy. It's like all the hundreds of years before the ancient prophets were saying, when you see this prediction come true, you will know it's the time. And there was prediction after prediction, prophecy after prophecy of Jesus' coming. In fact, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. They were spoken by different prophets over a period of about 500 years. And that's what it means, the time has come. In one day alone, Jesus fulfilled 29 major prophecies. And that was the day that he died. The time has come. The time prophesied in the Old Testament is here and it is now. Galatians 4, 4 puts it like this. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. Lovely, isn't it? When the time had fully come, God sent his son that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, the time has come. I am fulfilling the prophecies. Watch and see. After the time has come, Jesus preached, the kingdom is near. Now this is just what the people wanted to hear. For in Jesus' day, Israel was not a kingdom. Israel was just a small backwater in the kingdom of Rome. 
Israel was not independent. It was not self-governing. It didn't stand on its own feet. No, there were idol-worshipping Gentiles in control. And this galled the Jews. They hated the outsiders who controlled their government, the military and the economy. There was no self-determination, just submission to a distant emperor. So when Jesus starts proclaiming the kingdom is near, wow, does he grab everybody's attention? But of course Jesus is not proclaiming the kingdom of Israel is near, but the kingdom of God. He isn't advocating a return to glory days when King David and then King Solomon reigned supreme from the Nile to the Euphrates. No, he's proclaiming a kingdom where God reigns over our hearts and lives. For this kingdom that is near is not defined by boundaries on a map, by armies enforcing, or by taxes. This kingdom is wherever God's rule is exercised. So let me ask you, does God rule in your life? Are you allowing God's word to work into all parts of your being? Are you allowing the fruits of the Holy Spirit of love, joy and peace to grow and increase in your life? I mean, none of us are perfect, but if you are moving in that direction, then the kingdom of God is in you. And what about this church? As God's people, are we listening and putting God's word into practice? Are we known as a place where we love and accept and forgive each other and those that come across our paths? Are we getting better at welcoming, outreaching and generosity? I mean, if we can answer yes, and again, no church is perfect, but if we're moving in the right direction, then God's kingdom is here in this place. It's near. And there's something else about this kingdom, something that every kingdom has, and that's a a king. And so who's the king of this kingdom that is near? Well, it's Christ. And we'll see this kingdom growing momentum through the gospel. And as we see the kingdom being established, Mark is asking us, who is Jesus? And we've been able to say up until now that he's Christ the Messiah, he's the Son of God, but now we can say Christ is king because his kingdom is being established. So we've seen the time has come and the kingdom is near. Prophecies are being fulfilled and Christ is king. Next, in this very short passage, we are given two keys. Keys that unlock the door of this kingdom. Keys not only inviting us to become citizens, but sons and daughters. And these two keys are repent and believe. So repent. Repentance isn't just feeling sorry for yourself. It may include sorrow, but we mustn't confuse the two. You see, many think just feeling sorry is enough, that if we feel it intensely deep down, and if there are tears and remorse, then that's enough. That's all we need. But we can feel sorry for the wrong reasons. Often we feel sorry just because we've been caught. Or we feel sorry because we've let others down, those we love. There's that sense of shame. But deep down, deeper in, we know that if we could keep doing what we're doing and not get caught, or to bring shame with our loved ones, we would keep going. You see, true repentance is a commitment to stop doing what's wrong and turn to God no matter how we feel. It's saying, even if I was never caught 
and I never let anyone down, I still turn my back on this. So you might have a financial manager who's looking after a small business and he's siphoning money into his personal account. He's stealing. And even if he was guaranteed never to be caught or if his loved ones to find out and are never let down, even if he was guaranteed these things, repentance means that he would still stop what he was doing. He would confess to his boss and pay back what he stole. Can you see the difference between feeling sorry and repentance? Uh, Let me put it another way. Some people come to church thinking our focus, the focus of this church, is to make people better. That we're a sort of religious self-help group. And the people come to church and think, well, I want to be a better person, and the church is as good a place as any to help me do that. And so they stay. And they set about trying to be better. And they make good progress until they hit a wall. Because we can only go so far by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps before it becomes just too hard. And once it gets too hard, once we realise true repentance is beyond us, Christianity starts to make sense. You see, our prime focus is not to be better people. That's important, but it's secondary. Our prime focus is Christ. To worship him. To spend time with him. To delight in him. To spur each other on to serve him. That's our prime focus. And once that becomes our true north, then repentance becomes genuine. It becomes powerful and brings wonderful times of refreshing. I love this verse in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. The context is there's a lame man at the temple and Peter and John are walking into the temple to pray one day and the lame man says, can you give me some money? And instead they heal him. And the lame man jumps up and is excited and causes such a wonderful fuss that a crowd gathers. And Peter does what Jesus did. He preached the good news. And listen to how Peter finishes his sermon. Repent, he says to the crowd. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now that's true repentance, isn't it? Turn to God, your sins are cleansed, and we receive times of refreshing. So that's the first key to the kingdom, to repent. No one can enter this kingdom without repentance. But in many respects, repentance is just preparing the way. It's sweeping the house clean, and it's preparing the way to believe, to believe in Christ, to cling to him. Now the word believe needs some explanation. For Christians, there's two sides to believing. One is affirming what God says is true, and the second is trusting in God. So when we say we believe Christ rose from the dead, on the one hand we believe in the physical, historical resurrection of Jesus, and on the other hand, we trust Jesus with our salvation. You see, some people are happy to acknowledge that Jesus rose from the dead, but that's not believing. It's not believing until we trust Christ for our salvation. I'll give you another example from the book of James. James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's a bit extreme, isn't it? What's James driving at? 
Well, he's making the point that acknowledging a truth about God is not enough. It's not enough to believe that there's only one God and that all idols are nonsense. Even the demons believe this. Demons, demons even believe Jesus rose from the dead. The difference is demons don't trust God. Demons don't submit to him. They don't love him. They know the truth, but they rebel against the truth. What a contrast to Christian faith. See, Christians, we also believe the truth, but we trust God. We submit to him. We love him. So today, let's remind ourselves that not only do we affirm what the Bible says about God and what it says about us, but we also trust God, the living God, our Heavenly Father. That's what it means to be a Christian. Can you see the point I'm trying to make? Just believing that Jesus rose from the dead is not enough, because even demons believe God rose from the dead. Believing for a Christian means we also trust and submit and love. So that's the second key to the kingdom. The first key is to repent. The second key is to believe. And so, that's Jesus' whole preaching schedule summed up in four points. The time has come, the kingdom is near, repent and believe. And Jesus will then, through this gospel, fill this out. He'll teach about the kingdom, he'll tell stories about the kingdom, he'll share parables so that we can understand what the kingdom means. He'll also reinforce the message by miracles and healing and casting out demons. So every time there's a healing... The kingdom of God is near. Every time a demon is cast out, the kingdom of God is near. Every time there's a miracle like walking on water, the kingdom of God is near. And so the rest of the gospel, we will see this filled out until we have a wonderful understanding of the good news and the implications for us. And there are implications for us, even with this four points and summary of the gospel. And I'm thinking of two groups of people, thinking of those who don't know Jesus yet and those who do. So those who aren't Christ followers, what are the implications for you? Well, you may be new to church, or you may have been coming to church for some time and thought it was all about self-help and self-improvement, but now you're not so sure. Well, good. For you, the time has come. The kingdom is near, as close as repenting and believing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Love this verse. Paul is writing to the church in Corinthians and he's reminding them, I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. The kingdom is near. It is near as your heart and your mouth. Lovely verse in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And for some people sitting here, you may never have joined the dots before. Like I said, there might have been all sorts of reasons why you've come to church. And today is the day of God's favour, the day of your salvation. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And you become a Christian by praying, by asking Christ to be Lord of your life. And some of us can remember the day and the hour when we ask Christ into our life. But other of us have grown up in the church and we can't quite remember exactly when it was. It was just that time when we looked back and thought, actually, 
I really believe this. It just seems so right. And Christ, you've been with me all that time. But here's an opportunity today to ask Christ into your life. So I'm going to pray a prayer. We're all going to bow our heads in prayer. And I'm going to say what we call the sinner's prayer, the prayer where we welcome Jesus into our heart. And I'll pause and you can just quietly in your heart pray that prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus died for me. I repent. I turn my back on those things that are not of you. And I turn to you. Forgive me, I pray. And Heavenly Father, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Be my Lord, Saviour and Friend. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, then, well, the time has come and the kingdom is near. It's in your heart, in your mind, in your will. This Alpha booklet, Why Jesus, is a wonderful introduction to the Christian faith. We have those out in the foyer. encourage you to take one if you haven't already. Even if you've been a Christian in a while, it's a good read, good to pass on. Well, what about our folk, or the folk that have been in the kingdom for a while? What are the implications for us today? Well, the implications for us today are to keep the main thing the main thing. Christ is king and he came proclaiming the good news. And the challenge for us today, the challenge for you and I is, are there areas in your life where Jesus isn't ruling? I suspect that means everyone in this room. Just ponder now and think, is there an area of my life where Jesus is not Lord? I'm either hiding it from him, pretending he doesn't care, Maybe it's something good that I just have got out of perspective. Maybe it's something that's not good. Well, the challenge today is, is Christ ruling in your life? If he's not, then root it out. Bring it to the Lord in prayer and submit. None of us are exempt. We all fall short. So repentance isn't just the access into the kingdom of God. It's what keeps us continually in relationship with God. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That reminds us that for repentance is a way of life. We keep short accounts with God. But verse 10 is a very, is a very stern warning. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Keep short accounts with the living God. Be quick to repent and ask for his forgiveness. So today we've seen Jesus come and he's come heralding, proclaiming and preaching the good news. The time has come, the kingdom is near. The king himself will rescue and protect. He'll pay the cost and we, his loyal subjects, are dearly loved 
and need not fear. Isn't that wonderful news? Good news. And this is why we bow down and worship the King. Let's pray.